some of you are looking at me going, what are you doing back out here, Gary? If, if you don't like me, this is not your day. I'm just going to tell you up front, okay? If you will, turn in your Bibles to Song of Solomon this morning, chapter 5. We're going to continue our series. As you're turning there, if this is your first time with us this morning, uh, we have a connection card for you inside the newsletter. If you will, just fill that out at the end of our service. You can pop that in the offering bucket. And also, uh, there is an insert in your newsletter. You may have already saw it. It's a God's Not Great Q&A. In a couple weeks, we're going to answer some of your questions. So I'm sure some of you may have some questions, especially after last week's message. You may have some questions. So I would encourage you to fill them out. I mean, give us some really hard questions. Honestly, fire away because Doug's going to be answering most of the questions. So just fire away, everybody. Let him have it, okay? We're in, week, we're in week four of our series called God's Not Gray in the study of the book of Song of Solomon. Week one, we talked about faithful attraction. It's that being and attracting that person with godly standards. And then week two, we talked about perfect seasoning, where we can pursue our love through every season. And then last week was the big week, right? We talked about the honeymoon. And it was a hot honeymoon, okay? And I have a theory that about nine months from now, <laughs> our nursery is going to explode, everyone. Some of you, you guys that are clapping, you're, you're, you're giving yourself away, by the way. And, then, and maybe you've thought about serving in our children's ministry. This would be a great time to get involved in that. We're going to probably need your help in about nine months. But yeah, we talked about this honeymoon. And today, we're going to look at these two lovebirds, okay? <clears throat> two lovebirds. They finally get in a little tiff, a little conflict today in Song of Solomon chapter 5. Now, I know some of us probably get, uh, I've been married for a little while, and I, I don't care how long you've been married, you're going to get in some conflict. Can I get an amen, married people? Amen. You're going to get a little fight, a little tiff every once in a while. Some of you maybe haven't been married that long, just you wait. It's coming. It's coming, Okay. Now, I am very blessed, okay? I, I married a very sweet, amazing, beautiful, patient. Did I say beautiful? Perfect wife. But sometimes we do get in a little tip. Sometimes we get in a little conflict. Now, I'm kind of a structured person. I like to be places on time. Any structured people here this morning? You like you're on time, okay? My wife is uh, what you call a free spirit when it comes to time management. So sometimes we get in a little tiff about that. Now, I don't know what it looks like in your house. Maybe some conflict arises, but I thought I'd show you a funny little video of a couple that gets in a little conflict. Okay. Six free garlic nuts. I ate five in the car. Uh. I am starving. All right, you want to get the plates? Plates? No, you, you eat right out of the tin. It's better. You know, and then in the home stretch, you fold it into a funnel and you drink the sauce. <laughs> Is this all the bags? Hey, what's the matter? Um, uh, no, my, my dinner's not in here. What? Yeah, look, no eggplant parm, no salad. Are you kidding me? That blows. <laughs> yeah. I have no dinner, and that does blow, so... You want the last garlic knot? No, I want you to get my food! Fine. Oh, I'm sorry, Doug. Forgive me for having to eat. 
I just said I would go. No, I know, but this is so typical of you. What? No, you just, you don't give a crap about anybody but yourself. Oh, please, what about last week? You forgot my cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory, okay? So why don't you take a little bus ride back to Shuddy Town? I would, but you probably ate my tickets. Oh, that's, that's funny, because I eat everything. Well, you know what, right now, I'm eating my dinner. Yeah, mmm, and it's so good. It's very good. Yeah? How's it now, Chunky? Hey, hey! Piney Fresh. No. Mm. Mm. Oh! You can't stop me. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully it doesn't go to that extreme in your house, but we do have some conflict at times. Sometimes we get into some dramatic conflict and fights and tiffs over the dumbest little things sometimes, don't we? It's crazy. Well, today we're going to talk about reconciling our differences because we do have some differences as married couples from time to time and how we can fight fair. And we want to have a clean fight. I saw the Pacquiao Mayweather fight last night and the referee, the first thing he said, he said, guys, listen, we want to have a, a clean fight. And that's what we want to have as couples is a clean fight because healthy couples fight clean, but unhealthy couples fight dirty. All right? A healthy couples fight for resolution together, but unhealthy couples fight to win. And the problem is, is that when one person wins, both lose. Amen. They both lose. So we need to learn to win together to resolve the conflict together. So we're going to look at our two lovebirds this morning here in the book of Song of Solomon. We've, we've seen where they've been. Now we're going to look at, they're going to have a little tiff. The, you know, last week they couldn't keep their hands off each other. Now their dukes are up. They're going to have a little conflict, a little tiff this morning. Now, a little warning to you as well. As you know, I'm a worship leader. I'm a singer. This is the book of Song of Solomon. And I may break into song here a little bit. So just want to give you a warning on that, okay? So we're going to look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. And remember, man, leading up to this, they are love birds, as we saw last week. Love birds, to say the least. And uh, here in verse 5, we kind of continue that. Verse 1, I have come to my garden, he says, my sister, my spouse. And here they are, a married couple, enjoying the covenant of marriage. A beautiful picture. He says, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, oh friends. Drink. Yes, drink deeply, oh beloved ones. Oh, and they're so in love here, everybody. They're so in love. Everything is going well. And then verse 2 happens. Verse 2 says this. She says this. I sleep, but my heart is awake. Now, I can picture this maybe 11 o'clock at night, maybe midnight, tw maybe 2 a.m. She's waiting for him to come back. He's not, he's not home when he said he would be. She's texting him. She's, he's not texting back. She, she doesn't know where he's at. And she can't sleep. She's not all the way awake. She, her heart is awake. She says, and then here he comes. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Now, in case you don't know, when a guy says my perfect one at about 11 o'clock at night, there's only one thing on his mind. Okay. And come to think of it, there's one thing on a guy's mind most of the time, I guess. huh? For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops 
of night. He's like my love, my dove, my perfect one. If, if you've watched the show Friends, it would be kind of the equivalent of Joey coming in and going, how you doing? <laughs> He's here. So let's review real quick, okay, from the last few weeks. If, if you missed it, her attitude toward him, because this is really important. So if everybody will just turn to chapter 2, chapter 2 real quick. Turn back to chapter 2 in, verse, in the book of Song of Solomon. Chapter 2 in verse 5 and 6. We saw in week one, this is her saying, and she, this is before they're married. She says, sustain me with cakes of raisins. Now we remember, we realized that raisins at this time was an aphrodisiac, okay? And from what I understand, I think King Supers was running a little low on the raisins a couple weeks ago, okay? But here they are, before they're married. She's desiring him. She wants him. She says in verse six, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. So they're in love. And then, then week two, we looked at verse 17 in chapter two. Chapter two, verse 17. Says this, until the, bra- the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. And what she's saying here, she, you know, she's thinking about him. She's desiring him. She's like, I cannot wait to have you all night long. That's the translation here. And they're in love. And then week three, last week, as we know, we turn to chapter four, verse 16. She says this. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to let it speak for itself, okay? Verse 16. She says this. Blow upon my garden. I'll just leave it at that. That its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Wow. Woo, that's heavy. That's steamy. They are in love here, folks. They're excited about one another. Now, Doug talked about last week our approach. Guys, we need to be careful with our approach. We can scare away the twin fawns. We've got to be careful of that. Ladies. He said, ladies, just make an approach. Help us out. Just make an approach. Now, let me tell you something. If my wife turned to me and said this, blow upon my garden. (laughs) That's all it would take, everybody. (laughs) Nothing more needs to be said at that point, okay? So they are madly in love. She called him beloved. She called him her young stag, and here he comes, knocks on the door, and he wants romance, he wants action, he just wants some, okay? And what do you think she says? Let's look at verse 3. Here's what she said. I've taken my robe off. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? Okay, the original Hebrew translation of this is, I have a headache. I'm tired. Go away. He comes in. The young stag wants some. She's not in the mood. She's tired. And you, know, you may not believe this, but this happens all the time in my house. All the time. But it's not the way you think. It's really Jen. She's the problem. Um, <laughs> you know, I come home from a long day of work, and she's just always always uh, wanting some attention. <clears throat> and I'm like, can we just cuddle tonight? Can we just, you know, I, I'm a person with a heart, you know, and a soul. I have feelings, okay? 
You guys don't believe me, do you? I don't know. I don't blame you. But this stuff's in the Bible. Can you believe this? This is in the Bible. Here comes Solomon. He's like, Romeo is here. And she's like, Juliet is not here tonight, okay? And what we see here, what we start to see is these two lovebirds start to get in a little bit of a tiff, a little bit of a conflict starts brewing. So this morning, let me give you real quick two root causes of conflict. Because we all have conflict in our relationships and in our marriages, and we got to watch out for that. So let me give you two root causes. And if you're not married this morning, this is good preparation for you. Take good notes for the future. If you are married, very practical stuff you can use right now. And I want you to ask yourself as we go into these conflicts, these causes of conflicts, to look in the mirror and say, okay, what's happening in my life, in my relationship, in my marriage? What's causing conflict? So the first cause is this, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Now we see here that the Shulamite woman, she's, she's got expectations. She's expecting him to come home a little early. She can't sleep. Her heart is awake, it says, and she's wondering where he's at. He's got expectations too. He's coming in. He expects to still be her young stag at this point. He expects to be petting the twin fawns tonight. But the petting zoo is closed tonight, okay? It's like, it's like we're, you know, it's like, this lady has pulled up a stop sign in the bed, you know, like, no, not tonight, go away, I have a headache. And then there's unmet expectations. And this happens in our marriages, in our relationships all the time, these unmet expectations. Maybe a husband marries a wife and her dad was like Mr. Handyman around the house. And he's not. If he's anything like me, he's not. And there's unmet expectations there. Maybe a wife marries a husband. And his mom did everything for him. She was basically his maid, and she, he's a slob. And she's finding herself having to train this guy. There's unmet expectations. Maybe, maybe in a marriage, the, the lady thinks maybe there's going to be more talking, more intimacy. Okay? And then maybe he thinks there's going to be more romance. Okay? And there's unmet expectations. There's conflicts arise. Now, Jen and I have an amazing marriage. We were married in 1999, and we had very little conflict up until about five years into the marriage. And a little guy named Josh came along. This is our son, okay, our firstborn. Now, just to be honest with you and completely honest at the, at the risk of you villainizing me this morning, I am not a baby person, okay? I, I'm not really into babies. I especially infants, I really don't know what to do with an infant, okay? Because I'm a, I'm a conversationalist. I'm a rational person. I like to talk about things with logic, okay? But a baby is incapable of doing that. And I didn't have a lot of patience with that, okay? And it caused some conflict in our marriage. My wife is the complete opposite, very patient. She's like the baby whisperer, okay? And babies love her, and it caused a little bit of conflict in our marriage. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a deeper thing. Maybe like you get into the marriage a few years down the road, and you realize this is not the person you thought you were marrying. There's unmet expectations. Maybe you get down 15 years down the road, and the only thing keeping you together at this point maybe is the kids, and you're no more than roommates just paying the bills together. Unmet expectations, conflict arising, okay? So unmet expectations, that's one cause of conflict. The next cause of conflict is this self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Here we see in the story, Solomon comes in, he's like, me Tarzan, you Jane. Let's go swing on the vine together, okay? And she's like, no, 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 I'm tired, I have a headache. Not tonight. And both really are being 
pretty self-centered when you look at this story. It's about just their needs, okay? She wants to talk, maybe, in a, maybe you look in marriages and there's a, there's a wife, and she wants to talk to her husband when, she, when he comes home from work. And he's like, I just want to veg and watch TV. And for a guy, you know, it's not about just watching what's on, it's about watching what else is on, right, guys? You know, we just want to veg. Uh, maybe, maybe one spouse is wanting more physical intimacy and the other is not. And what happens is conflict starts arising because of the self-centeredness. We're just thinking about ourselves. It's all about what I want. And selfishness seeps in and conflict arises and we have the self-centeredness. So we need to look in the mirror this morning and ask ourselves, you know, what's causing some of the conflict in our marriage, in our relationships. Maybe there's some self-centeredness going on, maybe some unmet expectations. Now let me stop right here. Just talk to the single people, okay, for just a second. Maybe, maybe there's some single people in here and you're, and you're dating, okay? And everything is going wonderful, all right? And then maybe some of you are dating and uh, things aren't going so hot. Maybe you're fighting a lot and you're thinking maybe if we just get married, Things will be better. Hello? <laughs> McFly, no, not going to happen. It's kind of like a married couple saying, you know, we're fighting all the time. We have conflict. So maybe if we just have a baby, things will get better. Not a good idea. So if you're dating, maybe you're fighting all the time. Let me just, let me tell you, that's a warning signal. You need to take that to heart because this is the smooth time we're supposed to be and marriage can maybe complicate that and make that a little more challenging. So we need to take an honest evaluation of ourselves and ask ourselves, is, is there unmet expectations in, in our relationship, in our marriage, or maybe there's some self-centeredness? Identify those things and then ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. Let's get back to our story. We have the Shulamite woman. We have Solomon here in chapter 5. In verse 3, we see, you know, he comes home in verse 3. Taking my robe off. How can I put it on again? She's like, I have a headache. Not tonight. I'm tired. Go away. Leave me alone. Then one verse later, verse four, she says this. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. Okay. Verse three doesn't want anything to do with him. She tells him to go away. I have a headache. I'm tired. One verse later. She's yearning for him. Now, I studied this. I prayed about it. I asked the Holy Spirit, what is going on here? What has happened from three to four? And then it hit me. She changed her mind. And what we have here is documented proof that a woman can change her mind. In case you didn't know. I... I asked my wife about this. I showed her these two scriptures, right? I told I said, hey, what's the deal here? Why do you think she changed her mind? And she didn't even hesitate. She looked at me and she's like, well, if he's anything like you, she probably got tired of all his whining and just gave it. <laughs> Thanks, baby. Love you. Appreciate you. Let's look in verse five. She says this. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. What we see here is he comes, and he doesn't force his way through, but he kind of puts his hand through the door, and he puts this liquid myrrh on the lock. And what this was was like a romantic fragrance. 
that he leaves. And then he walks away and he leaves. He walks, leaves the situation and the conflict. And we're going to look at that a little bit later and see the significance of that. Verse 6 says this. She says, I open, open for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. He's gone. She's looking for him, but he's gone. He's left. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. So just to review, he wants romance. She doesn't. She changes her mind. He leaves something nice on the lock. Then he leaves. Leaves the conflict. Leaves the situation. Here she is, upset. And there's something brewing here. There's something brewing here that's not, not feeling right. And then in verse 7 and 8, we see kind of a disturbing twist. Verse 7 says this. The watchman who went about the city found me. So here she is. She's out looking for him. She can't find him. He's gone. And she says this. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am love sick. And what we see here is this disturbing twist where she goes out looking for him. He's left the situation. He's left the conflict. She goes out looking for him. The watchmen, for whatever reason, don't trust her, don't know who she was. And then they physically and emotionally hurt her. They humiliate her. We see here that, that they, they wounded her, that they struck her. There's a physical hurt there. And then at the end of the verse, they took her veil away and we don't know exactly what that means, but th this could be a pretty bad thing right here. And we definitely know there's some emotional hurt going on. And what we see here is a picture of conflict arising. A small little conflict, conflict left unchecked becomes a big and damaging thing. Maybe in your relationship, it could be pictured like this. Your spouse is running late and you want to be on time somewhere. Or maybe they bought something and didn't tell you and then mistrust starts to creep up. Maybe they did something wrong and they didn't apologize and tension starts to rise. And these small things that are left unchecked can become a big and damaging things in our relationship if we're not careful. And we tend to think too many times as spouses during a fight that our spouse is the enemy. That our spouse is the enemy. But I'm here to tell you this morning, please listen to me when I say this. Your spouse is never the enemy. Never the enemy. Ephesians says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. He thinks she's the enemy. She thinks he's the enemy. And she's out. She's left unguarded. And a real enemy comes in and damage occurs. All because of a small conflict that was left unchecked and not dealt with. So there they are, our two lovebirds in a tiff, in a conflict. So this morning, the rest of our time, I want to get real practical, okay? Because we, we definitely want to give you biblical knowledge, but that's not where we want to leave you. We want to help you apply this to your life so you can grow and be more like Christ. So this morning, let me give you three quick um, ways in how to resolve conflict. How are we going to resolve conflict? And they're very simple, but if we apply them to our lives, we can see our relationships transform and we can see our walk with Christ be renewed every day. So the first thing is this, I will respond and not react. I will respond and not react. I will respond with, with the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, with love, 
with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, all those wonderful things instead of reacting in the flesh. I'll respond with the Spirit instead of reacting with the flesh, with hurtful and damaging words at times. Solomon appears to do this. He puts a little myrrh on the lock. And instead of getting mad and storming in, he responds with an act of love. Romans 12, verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what, church? Good. Everybody say the word good. We need to respond in a good way and not in a bad way. Why is it in marriage we, we tend to think that if we're getting attacked, the best way we could respond is just to criticize the other person? This is not a good idea. You know, what, in, in any, anywhere else in the world, where, where, or in any other circumstance, where does this work? You know, maybe, maybe you have a boss that's just constantly criticizing you. You don't come home and go, man, they really just made my day. They make me feel so good. Or maybe you have a friend that's constantly criticizing you. Well, that friend isn't going to be hanging out with you too much. There's going to be a distance in that relationship. Yet in marriage, we think if we criticize one another, it's going to help the situation or maybe help the conflict. And we think that's the way to respond, but it's not. It's not the way to respond. So what are we to do? How are we to respond? Well, this is really important. You, want, you may want to write this down. We are never told we are to change our spouse. We are never told that we are to change our spouse. Men, 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, Honor your wives, treat them with understanding. Remember, they are a partner in your life. Ladies, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, to respect your husbands, to submit to each other in love. We're not trying to change our spouse, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that God will change us. We're not trying to change our spouse, but we're going to let God change us. And here's, what we're, here's how we're supposed to respond. Here's what we're supposed to do. We need to pray. This is how we respond. We pray. And this is how we pray. God, do a work in me as I pray for my spouse. God, do a work in me as I pray for my spouse. That's the way we're going to respond. And this is so powerful because here's the thing. Your prayer may or may not change your spouse. But your prayer will always change you. Amen. It's important. It's powerful. Let us not react in the flesh with damaging, hurtful words, but may we respond in the Spirit with love, with joy, with peace, all those wonderful fruit of the Spirit. And we'll see conflict begin to resolve. So let us not react. Let's respond and not react. Here's the second thing. I will focus on the good and not the bad. I will focus on the good and not the bad. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know what he's saying there? Focus on the good. Focus on the good, not the bad. Focus on the good. There's a beautiful story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, back in his heyday, he traveled about seven months a year. Seven months a year. Think about that. And the reporter asked his wife, Ruth Graham, she they said, well, does this bother you? Is this a problem for you? And she had the most beautiful statement. She said, you know what? Five months with Billy is better than 12 months with any other man. That's focusing on the good. That's focusing on the blessings in life and not the bad. This is what the Shulamite woman did. You know, if you read on verse 9 through 16, I mean, she said here in, in, in verse 9, she called him her beloved. 
more than another beloved. And, and, and there in verse 16, it really sums it up. She said, his mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. She's focusing on the good and not the bad. But here's a problem. No matter who we marry, no matter who we end up with, they will never fulfill and be 100% of what we need. They won't. Only God can fulfill us 100%. Only God can do that. But we need 100%. We want 100%. So maybe you marry someone that's 80%, fulfills you 80%. And there's 20% left unfulfilled. And so this is what stupid people do, okay? You ready for this? They look at other people and maybe say, they go, oh, that, that person has the 20% I'm missing. So what do they do? They trade the 80 for the 20. Trade the 80% for the 20% and they're left unfulfilled dissatisfied because they traded down. And sometimes, if they're not careful, it can be too late. It's the whole idea of the grass is greener, and it's a lie. Look at your spouse and look at the good. Focus on the good and not the bad. Focus on the good. I will focus on the good, not the bad. And when we do that, we're going to fall more and more and more in love with our spouse, the spouse that God has given us. Focus on the good and not the bad. So we're going to respond and not react to resolve conflict. We're going to focus on the good, not the bad. Third thing is this. I will talk and not walk. I will talk and not walk. If Solomon did one thing right here, if he did one thing right, he didn't force his way in. He he had an act of love. But if he did one thing wrong is that he left when the conflict arose. He walked away. He didn't deal with it. Ephesians 4 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And what that foothold means is leverage. When we allow the sun go down on our anger, when we don't deal with conflict, when we don't talk and we walk away, what we do is we give the devil leverage in our life, in our relationships, and in our marriage. We got to deal with things. We got to talk and not walk away. And this is great marriage advice. As most of you have probably heard this. Don't go to bed what? Angry. Don't go to bed angry. There was this older couple, and the husband said, We've been married for 40 years. And for 40 years, we have never gone to bed angry. And he said, I haven't slept in 40 years. But seriously, this is great advice. Don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down because you're going to give the devil leverage in your life. Isn't it funny when we go to bed angry, if you've done this? There's a natural thing that occurs in the bed that you don't even need to teach people. We sleep what? Back to back, right? And there's like this invisible line down the bed. And you are not allowed to cross that invisible line right now because we're in a conflict. We have unresolved conflict. And sometimes maybe a leg will cross over accidentally during the night. And t- a toe, the toes will touch. And you're like, get your toe out of here. No toe for you tonight, you know. When we have this, when we have this unresolved anger, it can be harmful. It can be leveraged for the devil in our marriages. You know, there's always a huffer in a conflict. And then there's a silent one, Right? A huffer. Now, in my relationship, I'm the huffer. Okay? My wife is the silent one. 
So I will huff, and then she will hold her breath for hours upon hours upon hours and not make a peep because she's not going to give me the satisfaction of saying a word, okay? That's, that's the way marriage can go at times. But in all seriousness, I think Jen and I have such a strong marriage because we talk and we don't walk away. We deal with things. We don't allow unresolved issues to just, just stew in our marriage. We don't go to bed angry. If we have a conflict, we talk about it. We fight and we try to fight clean at times, you know? But it's important that we deal with things, that we talk and not walk away. I think uh, one of the biggest problems with marriages is a lack of communication. They're just not talking to each other. I mean, you got a problem with something and you're not talking about it. It's a lack of communi- communication. And then when you do talk, you say hurtful things. Maybe the divorce word comes up. And that's a, that's a weapon. That's a deadly weapon. And what happens is when that divorce word comes up, the opportunity for somebody to walk away happens. You open the door for someone to walk away instead of talking about things. So we need to talk and not walk away. So we know we all fight. We know we all have conflict at times. But what, how we fight determines the strength of our marriage. And we're going to resolve our conflicts by simply responding and not reacting. Responding by the Holy Spirit, not reacting in the flesh. And we're going to focus on the good in our spouse and not the bad. And then we're going to talk and not walk away. So here we are in our story. Back to our story. We have the Shulamite woman. We have Solomon. They're in a tiff. They're the lovebirds, but now they're in a tiff, a little conflict. And something really cool happens. Solomon shows back up, and they make up. And there's a great line that he says here, in, uh, if you look over in chapter 6, they start to resolve things. In verse 5, he says, turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. I can see myself saying that to Jen. Just beautiful eyes. Turn your eyes away from me, Jen. They've overcome me. I'll have to remember that line later. <clears throat> your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. In verse 11, if you, if you scoot on down, she, she recognizes something really beautiful in verse 11. She says this, I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley. That word verdure there, that means new growth. It's new growth in this valley. She's seeing it. She's in the, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. And what she's recognizing is, you know, things were, were great and then things were not so great. But now things are way better. I'm seeing new growth. We've dealt with things. We've dealt with the conflict. We've resolved it. And I'm going down this valley and I see this verdure. I see this new growth. I see this fresh growth in our relationship. Now some of you are here maybe this morning and you've got some stuff going on. You've got some conflict you need to resolve. You've got some distance in your relationship and in your marriage. And you're maybe in a place that's not so good. Maybe one, at one time in your, in your marriage, it was in bloom. Things were beautiful. But now things are dormant. And you're looking for fresh growth, for new growth. I'm here to tell you this morning to encourage you that there, there can always be new growth in your marriage and your relationships. There can always be fresh growth in Jesus Christ. And let us not forget what we're reading here. The book of Song of Solomon, this is a picture of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, 
in us, the bride. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, with verdure, with new growth, with fresh growth, guess what's going to happen to our other relationships? There's going to be new growth in Christ Jesus, no matter where you're at, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the hurt, Jesus can heal and he can be the new growth in your life. Jesus said, by him, all things become new, all things. So no matter how bad things are, when we are two people seeking the one, when we're two people seeking God, things can come together. Things can be resolved. Conflicts can be resolved. Hurts can be healed. When two are seeking the one. This is the, the rule of the triangle. I put this on your notes. There's a little triangle at the bottom. This is great to remember. When the two, the husband and wife, are, are seeking after God together, guess what? They're going to come closer together. The closer we are to God, the closer we're going to be together. The two seeking the one. But the, the adverse effect is there. The, when the two are far apart from God, they're farther apart from each other. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the key. It's our relationship with God. And as two, we, when we seek the one together, things will come together. Things will be healed. Conflict will be restored. And we can, we can trust him and only him that he will lead us to the marriage that he wants us to have. Amen, church? Amen. We can trust in him to do that because here it is. He, Jesus, he's the healer. He is the restorer. He's not gray, but he's the light. He's the truth, and he's the way. May our relationship be strong in him so we can have a strong marriage, strong relationships in our life, and see differences reconciled, and see hurts healed, and see conflict resolved if we just trust in him. The healer, the restorer, the light, the truth, the way. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, the promise, the possibilities, God. If we just apply it to our life, God, may, may we not just be hearers of the word today, but may we be doers. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for your promise, God. Thank you for your healing in our lives. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, maybe some are here and Maybe you're single and this is a great opportunity for you to take these great notes and understand that your relationship with Christ is going to be so key to your relationship with your spouse later on. Maybe you're here today and you're married and there's conflict in the middle, issues separating you and your spouse. Let me, let me encourage you this morning. I want to pray for you and all of us that are married that we seek the one, the two seeking the one. So let me pray for us. Lord, we, we pray with all of our hearts. God, that we'll take this challenge. God, that our, our life and our, our relationship with you will be stronger than ever so that our marriage will be stronger than ever. Lord, may we trust in you to bring us together. May we trust in you as our healer. May, may we trust in you as our reconciler. May we trust in you as our resolver in our conflicts, Lord. And may we grow closer to you together, resolving things together, not winning, but resolving things together. Bring us together, Lord, in your name and in your power. With every head bowed and every eye closed still. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't had the most important relationship of all. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been running from it. 
but you need Jesus and you know it. If you're here this morning and you've got that hole that needs to be filled, that only Jesus can fill 100% this morning. If that's you this morning, I've got good news. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He can be your savior. He can be your healer. All you have to do is call out to him. So I'm going to say this prayer. It's not going to be the prayer that saves you, but it's your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. So that's you this morning. Just pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart this morning. Just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender to you. Be my healer. Be my reconciler. I need you in my life. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again, and that you live forever in eternity. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus, and save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. That's you this morning. You prayed that prayer. You accepted Jesus Christ into your life for the very first time. You surrendered your heart to him. If you will, just raise your hand. We just want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Yeah, Gary, I did that. Thank you, ma'am. I did that. I see that over there. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Lord, we, we come to you this morning. We thank you, God, that you've offered healing and that you've offered reconciliation, that you've offered resolution to us. But God, may we take it. May we take the truth of your word, apply it to our marriages, our lives, and our relationships, and trust in you uh, to be the 100% in our life. Thank you, God, for speaking to us and working in our hearts. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's celebrate what God's done this morning. Can we do that?